then just a sweet time uh, that we got to have in prayer beforehand and good to be able to come together and delve into the Word of God. And it's a sweet treat to be able to do it in the middle of the week, as busy as things can be, but to take time to come before Him and build that more and more, not just in the middle of the week, um, relentlessly pursuing Him, communing with Him, seeking Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can take, Lord, to come together as a body of believers, Lord God. And we thank you for the time of prayer, Lord, that we cast our cares at your throne, Lord God, and we get to just commune with you deeply, Lord. And thank you now for the time that we get to delve in your word, Lord, that we get to continue the study in the book of Psalms, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, just ask that you would fill me to be able to pour out for your people, Give me the words that are needed for your people, Lord, and just help us each to put aside the distractions, but be focused on you alone and your word and what you would have for us this night, Lord, that we would leave filled by you, Lord, that we would leave with the manna that you need us to have for this week to meditate and ponder the next few days, Lord, to be closer to you, to be closer to who you need us to be, Lord, for we were made by you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, as Brent and I were just talking, we sprinted through Psalms 11 through 14. We went through four Psalms, not happening again. Uh, but we didn't. All right. If Suzanne says likes it, then we're good. No. But um, the charge from last week, I want to just make sure we revisit that. Uh, part of it was to examine how are you doing beyond the walls of Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill? And again, wondering when the trials come in, do you run in fear? Or do you remain in faith? When words come against you or words of the world are around you and contempt you and taunt you unto sin, do you anchor in the word of God alone? Or are there other anchors that you're clinging to? In the midst of that never-ending trial, in the midst of that medical battle, the family issue, the job search, whatever is going on, is your strength in yourself or is your strength in the character and evidence of who God is? unto singing praises to him. Remember what we saw in that psalm where it was horrible portrait and it ended with worship. And lastly, that question, do you have an eternal mindset? Do you end the days in your woes or do you end the day pondering, what have I done for eternity today? Remember, we're in the midst of that battle and in the midst of the battle, we have to believe and receive for salvation. Yes, we know that. But that goes onward daily with sanctification. And as we're in the midst of that, those who hear and reject, are you still praying for them? Are you still praying for the salvation of those that are lost? Or have you gotten weary and saying, what's the point? Keep praying. Keep pressing on. And again, we looked at, it's a pattern that we're seeing as we go through the book of Psalms. We see that there's the cry out. We see that there's the putting the cares to the Lord, letting him know what's going on. We then see the looking to the character of God, the evidence of who he is, and in that landing in peace each time. So tonight we're going to be looking at Psalms 15 and 16 with a message I've entitled, To Be, To Pray. Now, there's two Psalms tonight, and there's two important lessons for us as believers. Now, both of these are written by David, and it's a reminder again, each time we do this, we looked at John the Baptist, now we're looking at David again. 
when you're looking at these psalms, look to the consistency of how David prays and praises the Lord. And in that, how is the consistency of your prayer life and your own praise life? Pushing this church to think about what does it mean to worship on my own? What does it mean to worship as a family? To be, that first phrase, how should we be and act as believers in God? What should our character be? Being with God, living with God. To pray, perspective and the heart of prayer that's fully surrendered to God is what we're going to see. And surrendered and basking in his eternal promises. But the question we then have to ask, how do we pray? How do we praise? Are we anchored in who he is? Now with Psalm 15 and 16, just like we saw with 11 through 14, the exact timing of when David wrote these is not precisely known. Now with Psalm 15, some will point to it being the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6, and then they'll go with Psalm 16, being when the Lord gave the gracious assurance to David of his enduring throne in 2 Samuel 7. It could be around that time when we look at what's written, when we look at the words there. But for the context of tonight, we need to remember the text is revealing David's heart focusing on the intimacy with God and staying secure in the promises of God. In Psalm 15, we're going to see how we should live, how we should think of seeking the tabernacle and holy hill who is worthy to come to you, Lord. Now, for us as believers, we have to remember Jesus Christ gives us access to that. It's very different for us. We know the way, the truth, and the life. We know Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, where we can boldly come to the throne of grace because we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and was without sin. Psalm 15 shows the character that we need. Actions, thoughts, interactions, even finances. All of us every portion of how we live being his. And we'll also see Psalm 15 has a unique link to Psalm 1 when we get there. Now with Psalm 16, to pray, anchoring in God alone. In that Psalm, we're going to see fleeing from the worldly and wicked, not getting lost in that, anchoring in God alone. We're going to see what it is to rest in God's hands and God's providing. In Psalm 16, we're going to see 11 times the word my, my trust, my delight, my cup, my heart two times, my Lord, my lips, my lot, my right hand, my glory, my flesh, my soul. It's a psalm that reminds us all of me, all of what is my turned to his. It's saying praises unto God and reminding himself of who the Lord is. Again, what he does with each of these songs of praise. And we'll see in Psalm 16 that eternal perspective at the ending. And it's a messianic psalm also, Psalm 16, because Peter uses it in Acts 2, where he's pointing to the resurrection of Christ, and Paul uses it in Acts 13. Same thing, pointing to Christ's resurrection. And my prayer is that we see, as we look at Psalm 16, where do we need to shift our minds? And making sure that our minds are surrendered to him alone. That we can then say anything that I have is my. What did we see this weekend in John 3, 27? John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. That we ponder that my. 
And again, saints, that we remember, look at the word that's in front of you at this season of your life. So what does he have us studying on Sunday? What does he have you studying on Wednesday? What are you doing in your own devotional time? What are you doing as a family? And see how the Holy Spirit weaves it all together. Because even tonight, we're going to see so many portions of what we just looked at Sunday with humility in John 3, how it comes on tonight. So as we go through tonight, ponder some questions. How is my character? How am I living? How am I praying? How am I praising? And a reminder for us, how's the Lord using the word of God in this season to speak to me? How is he using this? Again, we saw trials last week. We looked at the temple cleansing. We looked at you must be born again. We looked at humility this past weekend. There's something I see as your pastor. He's having us search ourselves deeply right now and truly search where do I need refining? And again, the charge to be a body of believers who embraces conviction. Our culture doesn't want to go there, but embrace conviction. It's a gift. In it leads repentance. In it is renewal. In it is running for him. So Psalm 15 and 16, let's dig in. Psalm 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? So we start this with the question of who. Now David would know that really the tabernacle, the holy hill, who's going to be the one that's going into the tabernacle? The priest. It's only going to be him, but figuratively this is a question. And the heart of David here wants intimacy with God. Abiding in the tabernacle, the place where man met with God through works of priests and practices of sacrifices, David is longing to be in the presence of God, to dwell in the holy hill. Now, we talked at the very intro of this book, when we look, this first verse uses that Hebrew poetry thing of repetition. He says the same thing twice in one verse, but he's putting more anchoring in that second with dwell. The Hebrew word dwell there, shakan, is where we get shekinah, the presence of God's glory in the sanctuary. It's more permanent questioning and anchoring there. Who can be in your presence? Who can stay in your presence? How do we get in your presence? Now, for us, saved believers, we know that, but we've got to still ponder that. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? What does it mean to get to go to the presence of God? For him, when we look at the Old Testament, we know what it was about, the law, 613 things. You got to make sure you're doing, get your checklist. If you're obeying, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're cursed. Bam, that's how it goes. But then there's the New Testament, Jesus. And in Jesus, Messiah, Mashiach coming, no one has righteousness except through Jesus. It's not about the works anymore. Righteousness is by faith in the cross. Righteousness is in faith in Jesus Christ. Reminder, let's turn to Romans 3. And we read verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's one way, faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Now, when we see that, that's not a call to just disobey and say, okay, well, Old Testament, we're not there, so the disobedience, I guess we don't have to worry about curses. No, we need to be striving to obey. We see in Hebrews, there's chastening that the Lord will bring. We still are going to be disciplined by our loving Father. But we are called to be set apart. 1 John 1, 6, what do we see there? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Sin keeps us away from him and away from deep, consistent intimacy with him. So as he's asking this first question, who can be there? Who can go into this holy place? For us, as we read that as believers with the whole counsel of the word of God, we know who can go. We know the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. And in that, we still have to search our hearts, search ourselves before we go to his throne. Before you pray, do you take time to search your heart? Do you take time to search yourself to make sure, Lord, I'm going before you as pure as I can. Lord, I've, I've fallen short in these ways. I'm coming to your throne as your humble servant. What do we see Sunday? I am not the Christ. We're reminded of that again. How humbly to go before him. Now in Psalm 1, when that starts, if you remember, we saw blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. We saw that walk, stand, sit. We're going to see a sequence in this psalm, in this next verse, but it's a little different. And we're talking about the righteous now. Verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Walk, work, speak. Walk uprightly, the appearance. Work righteous, the action and the deeds. Speak of truth in his heart, the account from the lips. What we're reminded here is our conduct shows our fellowship with God. We saw that the blessed man doesn't walk, stand, and sit, get stuck in that sin. And we're seeing now the walk, work, speak, action in and by him. Where is our citizenship? Heaven as believers. We need to act as such. Does your character reveal that you live for the kingdom of God? Does your character show that? Verse 3. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. No backbite, no evil, nor taking up the reproach. God's the just judge. He leaves that to him. We see that consistently with David. We've seen it in the other Psalms. The vindication, he leaves that to him. He doesn't get lost in what the world says to get lost. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, out the mouth speaks. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors and who else? Enemies. Loving those around. How do the words that come out of your mouth represent living for him? Do you get lost in the gossip? Do you get lost in the anger, in the frustration, in taking it in your own hands? Or do you leave the vindication to him? Verse 4. In whose eye a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Another way we can look at this, Proverbs 8.13, the fear 
of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth, I hate. That's Proverbs 8.13. Now, when we look at this, we see here the vile person despised. Hating the things God hates. Sin. Now, is this a charge to then go hate people? No, want to be crystal clear on that. That is not what's going down there. But our hearts seeking to be in intimacy with the Lord, we're not going to love the things God hates. We're not going to love sin. We're not going to crave that. Now, that's a battle that we have to fight. That's why we have to crucify the flesh daily. But again, we have to be mindful of this. How do we approach that? And in that, how do we approach the people around? Those that are in the sin, do you try to be that bridge that they would come to know Jesus? And then what does he say there? But he who honors those who fear the Lord. That's loving his people, loving his kids. And I go further to say loving his created beings who aren't his children yet. That they may come to know him. Because we've looked last week, there's one enemy. Don't make the people that are doing the sin the enemy. There's one enemy that we fight. Be sober, be vigilant. One enemy that we're fighting. Now we see that last part of verse four, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. No matter what, my yes is yes, my no is no. I committed to this. It's now actually gonna cause me to suffer or it's actually really inconvenient, but I'm still gonna stick to it because that's the character of the person that goes to the tabernacle that has the intimacy with King Jesus. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Levitical law forbid charging of interest when lending to one in need. Bribery, no-go. This is about stewarding financials, handling money. How? Honestly. Genuinely. So there's a list here that we look at this. Walks uprightly, works righteous, speaks the truth in his heart, not backbiting with his tongue, not evil to the neighbor, not reproach of the friend, vile person despised, honor those who fear the Lord, keeps his own, his swearings and what he's committed to, even if it's going to cause suffering and pain, and honest with the money, not taking bribery, long list. How are you doing with it? How are you doing with your character pursuing that? Walk, work, speak. All of those are present tense when we look at them. Those are things that we must be seeking to do with dedication at all times. It's not a choosing, I'm only going to do it like four hours today, and that's good enough. No, it's all times that we're seeking to do it. And what we're hitting is our character, what we're hitting is our conduct, and what we're hitting is our conversation. What does your character say? Who does your character point to? What does your conduct reveal? Who does your conduct reveal dwells in you? What do your conversations glorify? Who do your conversations point glory to? The things that keep us from these, that keep us from the walk, work, speak, gossip is a big one. Circulating in that gossip is another big one. And I talk about social media all the time. Don't think I hate social media, even though I'm not on it and I challenge you all to think about your role with social media. But if we think about it, we get lost in that world. Somebody puts a comment, oh, I'm so mad, I'm gonna do this. And we just go back and forth. What are we doing with that? 
Deception keeps us from it. Selfish gain keeps us from it. Oh, they need to borrow a little money. I'll put a little interest in there. I'll make some money off of them. This is great. And it goes beyond just your circle as a believer. What about in work? What about in your job? If what you're working for, your boss leads you to do something that's going to cause deception or take advantage of somebody or dishonest, do you just do it because you got to get your paycheck? Or do you speak up because it doesn't honor God? We've got to dig deeper into thinking in all levels because it's the work of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Do that dive in Galatians 5. And we can tie it to our charge from Sunday. What's your motive? What's your motivation? Because he must increase, I must decrease. When the motive is Jesus, when my motivation is living for my king, saying no to the things of the world becomes a lot easier. Now, the end of verse 5, he who does these things shall never be moved. He who does these things shall never be moved. No moving because guess what? The foundation and anchoring is on Jesus. The foundation and anchoring is on something that can't be shaken and broken. God. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Another place we know this, we know of this, this passage, but it's good to look at it again. Matthew 7 verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these saying of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What's the foundation? It's something we've hit in youth group. We've got a youth here, but you're a youth graduate now, so I can't call you youth group anymore. But we have to think about that fact. What's the foundation? What's the anchor that we're staying on? Because the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ, that's the rock to stay on. But if we're building not on him, don't expect it to stand. If you're building in compromise, guess what? Don't expect it to stand. It's what I've been saying for us as a church. His word, his spirit, his way. His word, his spirit, his way. We've got to be anchored in him alone. It's the same thing as John 15 where he tells us to abide in him. Because in that, when we're clinging to the vine, we're building that character. We're living and exercising that conduct and we're exhibiting those conversations. We're having those conversations that glorify him. How do we anchor in that? How do we live in it? We live in a life of prayer. We live in a life of praise. Psalm 16. Now the title here, a mechtam of David. That word mechtam has much debate on the meaning. Engraved in gold, to cover, secret treasure, a poem with uh, little fun sayings, many different debates on what that means. I personally lean towards to cover a few others will lean more on that side. And we see this same title come in on Psalms 56 to 60. And the only other time you'll see it is the Psalm of Hezekiah in Isaiah 38. So that's where that comes in on that title. Now, this is a reminder again that this is a messianic Psalm. I want to remind you of that. Peter's going to point to it on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And in Acts 13, Paul brings it up when he's in one of the synagogues outside of Asia, both pointing to the resurrection of Christ. Now, the first verse we read in Psalm 16, Preserve me, O God, 
for in you I put my trust. Now, there's not a specific time or trial that this is pointed to. There's an anchor and a call here. There's that cry that we've seen before from David. It's not as intense before. But he's saying, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. And again, as I said earlier, you're going to see my 11 times in this psalm. It's really a personal hymn, a personal cry out. And it's typical for how David starts, but it's a reminder to us Prayer and praise is personal. Personally, pour your heart out to the King of Kings. When you sing unto him, we sang how great thou art tonight. And truly, you could, the voices in that room were singing from their heart to King Jesus. How great thou art. David's aware when he says this that he needs God's constant care and oversight. Preserve me, O God, For in you I put my trust. Every part of me, preserve me. Why? You're the one that I put my trust in. Not myself, not man, not anything else. You alone. For us, we have that same thing when we think about Jesus in John 15. When he talks about the vine and the branches. Reminding you of that text, John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remember, I think I taught on this a few months back before I was officially your pastor. But when we look at this this text, when we look at what he's saying, the word comes, the word cleans us. We need to be washed with the water of the word. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And when we looked at that text, it's that clinging. It's that consistent link to Jesus. That's our preserve me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. That's our preserve me, because we are to seek that continual clinging to King Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, Vince, there's so many people who do so much without Jesus. Yeah, but they're not doing eternal work. Our calling is to lay eternal treasures for the King. Yeah, I could do a lot of things on my own, but that's not going to glorify God. I was made by him and for him. So it shifts perspective for the believer. Trust in God alone right from the start is how Psalm 16 starts. And it's deeper for us, saints, with Christ. Spurgeon on this idea of prayer and uh, preserving me. I love what he has here. Preserve me from the world. Let me not be carried away with its excitements. Suffer me not to be before its blandishments, nor to fear its frowns. Preserve me from the devil. Let him not tempt me above what I am able to bear. Preserve me from myself. Keep me from growing envious, selfish, high-minded, proud, slothful. Preserve me from those evils into which I see others run. And preserve me from those evils into which I am myself most apt to run. Keep me from evils known and from evils unknown. Little challenge if you want an extra homework assignment. Write out your preserve me prayer to God tonight. Do it. Write it out. Write out your own preserve me. Because everybody, you have your own walk. You have your own struggles. What are you asking the Lord to preserve you from? Write it out. Pray it to him. Seek him on that. Verse two. Oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing 
apart from you. The soul says here, we see, says to the Lord, Yahweh, the name of Lord, you are my Lord. And we see lowercase there, Adonai, meaning master. So the soul is saying, God is my master. You're my master. The soul is in submission. The soul is in surrender. You can't say you're my master unless you're there in submission and surrender. Look at how the heart starts in prayer and in praise for David here. For yourself, do you pray and praise from surrender and from humility? And then we see my goodness is nothing apart from you. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Remember this weekend when John said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Right here, David says, my goodness, anything that's good that I have, anything that's good that's in me is only from you because you are the only good. You are good. I'm not. All good, anything good from him. He remembers how tiny he is and how big God is. God is the highest good. God is our only good. God's our good companion, our master, our teacher, our leader, our helper. Now, for us, again, with the whole counsel of the word of God, whenever we're looking at these and reminding us to take that full text, can you say, you are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. Can you say that one to God? And I'm going to take it a step further. Can you say that to the Holy Spirit? Can you say that truly to the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit, he is God. He is sovereign. He is one we must commune with. But where is the Holy Spirit in your prayer life? Where's the Holy Spirit in your praise life? Only you know, but it's something to think about. Verse 3. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Delight. Delight in the saints who are on the earth. Delight in the remnant group of believers that he is, he's seeing everything going around, the ones that know God is God, delighting in them. Do you love the people of the church. Now that's a funny question to ask at Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, because we're a really loving group of people and everybody loves each other and it's great. We love this. But still, you got to do the heart check there. And you still have to make sure, because guess what? Is there anybody in the body that you're growing a little impatient with? Is there anybody in the body that you have unfair expectations on? Are you talking it out or are you hiding? Well, I like that person. It's just we disagree on that, but I like them. I don't really have an issue with them. Well, if you disagree on that and you keep bringing it up, that's something that you need to talk about and work it out. It's not something that we just say, oh, I'm going to bury this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about that. Really? Is that glorifying God? So we've got to check that because it's delight. Remember Psalm 1, what do we delight in? The word, day and night. And when we looked at that, it shouldn't be a duty. Delighting in the believers should not feel like a duty. And in that delighting, guess what? There's a little call for us to remember. Pray on the gifts you have and use them for his glory. Love each other. Serve one another. They'll know you by how you love each other. Now in that too, though, don't take verse 3 and then write me an email or come talk to me and say, you know, I'm looking at Psalm 16.3. We got to have our own community. We got to isolate. We got to, Christians got to just stick together. That's not what's going on there. And I just want to point that out because unfortunately in our culture, that's a little thing that is subtext coming where it's like, just isolate yourselves, believers, because that's the only resolution. No, we're called to be the city on a hill. We're called to be the light. We're called to be 
servants and preaching his word. Verse 4. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Suffering's going to come to all. We're going to suffer. We're going to face persecution. We've talked about it before. James 1 promises us trials. And how do we do? Rejoice. Woo! When the trial comes, do a cheer. But the reality here, suffering, if you don't have God, it's way worse. Way worse. And David gets that. David's not going to take part in their rituals. He's not going to take part in their religion. He's not going to ponder all the falseness that's around them. He just knows it's going to be worse for them, and their suffering's going to be worse. Culture of 2023, don't get lost in the mayhem. Get lost in sharing the gospel. Get lost in exalting the Lord. Don't get lost in identity politics, because we've talked about identity. What's our identity? I am not the Christ. I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our identity. We've established it. So our identity doesn't need to be the person that we're voting for. There's a debate tonight. Great. You need to care about your country. But if your identity is in the person that you're going to vote for, we've got an issue we need to talk about. Our identity is in Christ alone. And we have to remember that. And we have to see that. And when we look at this, be like David. Acknowledge it, and their fall is going to be harder, but that's not where I'm going to get lost in. I'm going to get lost in the word of God, the truth. And guess what? That's the most loving thing you can give someone. Let them wrestle with that on their own. Romans 12, we're the living sacrifice, but in that, what are we not to conform to the world? We have to be transformed. We have to be renewed. One thing does it, the word of God. We need to be anchored on that, and we need to not look like the world as individuals, or as the church. Psalm 15 gives us the goal, be like the king. Psalm 16, praise and pray and see the reality of the world, but don't get lost in it. Verse five, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. When he's thinking of that, I think he has to think of Aaron, when the Lord said to Aaron in Numbers 18:20, "You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel." What do you get lost in? David, think about this, youngest of many sons, and in this, he's not focused on earthly inheritance. He knows where his inheritance comes from. He's looking eternally. How do you do with that concept? He's looking eternally at the inheritance and the cup that he's going to have. He's in pleasant places. He has a good inheritance because guess what? He knows God is in control. He knows God eternally is the inheritance. What about us as believer? Spoke about the Holy Spirit earlier. Turn to Ephesians 1. Verse 13. In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our eternal promises. The guarantee of our inheritance. Where are you in communion with him? I shared at prayer. It's something that I just keep thinking about, and it was in the prep for this where I just kept looking. 
there's a big factor for us as the modern believer with everything, with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. In this verse, also with the inheritance, we see something else. David's content with his current state. There's nothing in there about everything's horrible now, but I have a good inheritance. He's able to just look at the inheritance because he's content with what he has. It's like the friend of the bridegroom that we saw this weekend is just content seeing the success of the bridegroom, seeing him risen. Are you content with what you have or are you always looking to the other side? David prays and praises with a heart of contentedness for what God has given and God ordains in his life. Verse seven, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Security in direction from God. Security for him. He's gonna bless the Lord because the Lord's given him counsel. His heart also instructs him in the night seasons. Think about the night seasons and night there is a plural in the word. And if we think about those nights, what did David say in Psalm 1? He's meditating on day and night. The word. Meditating on that. Chewing on that. Pondering on that. What about you? What about us? We have the word of God. And in John 14, we know that we get a helper. The helper coming. Jesus says, the helper's going to come. The counselor in some translations. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to come. Our teacher, our comforter, our helper. So question to you in that, do you lean on the Holy Spirit or not? Do you actually go to the Holy Spirit to seek counsel in his word? Do you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in the word? Unto conviction. Too often we hear the Holy Spirit told me, but there's no actual communion going on with the word of God or with God. And instead, I'm gonna challenge us. Think about the words we use, saints. Don't just say, the Holy Spirit told me. I challenge you, the next time that's going, check yourself. Perhaps it's a rephrase. I have conviction from meditating on Psalm 16, whatever, that I must blank in accordance to God's will. And the Holy Spirit granted me that conviction. I'm not saying not to say the Holy Spirit told me, but I'm just saying, think about what's underneath the layer. Are you actually communing with him? Take stock of the relationship with him. He's our helper. Yet so much in culture, we go to man to help us. We go to clinicians to help us. We go to everything. And then when we've done everything else, we're like, okay, let me actually talk to Jesus. No, start with the helper. Start with the Holy Spirit. That you can say, I will bless the Lord who's given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Here, David makes it clear he's made a choice. And it's a choice that every single one of us has to make. He's made the choice, God is first. God's first, I'm not, I shall not be moved. The only reason he shall not be moved, God is first, because he's saying the God of creation, author and finisher, alpha and omega, beginning and end, is first. He can't be shaken, God. We saw the two foundations. Jesus, God, can't be shaken. Verse eight, is that you? What is before God in your life? What do you place more importance on over God? John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. Sunday's charge, material goods, status, social media. We talked about the God complex this past weekend that it promotes. All that's at stake. 
can be shaken so easily. Material goods, guess what? They can be shaken. The wealth that you have can be shaken. Your bank account can be shaken. Your health can be shaken. One thing cannot be shaken. God. Do you put God first? Do you live with an eternal mindset or not? Then verse 9, we see the fruit of David's decision to put God first. That therefore, everything that came before it, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. When we think about, we often say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we just kind of casually throw that, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else is going to be okay. And prosperity folks have a fun time with that. The temporal doesn't matter. It's the eternal that matters. Seeking him first means putting God first, period. And when you do that, your heart will be glad, your glory will rejoice, and your flesh also will have rest because your flesh is anchored in God and God is the only secure thing. You won't be tossed to and fro from the world. Putting God first brings security. But does it cost something? Yeah, it does. It costs you losing what you want. Costs you losing your will. Costs you losing your way, but be Paul and realize and count it rubbish because what matters more than God? God first, the eternal security that we have, putting him first. Verse 10, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. David knows that his soul rests in God's hands beyond this life. Paul uses this when he quotes it, because he says, okay, you know David's tomb's there, but guess what? His body saw corruption with all the others. There's only one who didn't see corruption, Jesus. It's the eternal promise for all of us to come through Jesus and the work of the cross alone. No tortures of hell, eternity with Jesus. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 9 through 11 truly are what make this that messianic psalm. The path of life, David knows it's going to come. We know the path of life already, saints. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. His presence is the fullness of joy. It's eternity with him. Pleasures at hand evermore. Eternity. The peace and security of our lives here and all that is to come when we're with him forever and ever and ever. And how did this psalm start? Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. It starts with that call and it ends with security of the eternal to come. Pray and praise that he puts forth in this psalm is the truth of all to come. It's the truth of who God is. What is the book of Psalms? We've talked about it at the get-go, but don't forget it as we're going through this. It's a hymn book. It's a book of songs. It's a book of praise. There's 150. Guess what that needs to make you realize, saints? Worship is essential. We are called to worship God. He's worthy of our praises. He demands our praises. And guess what? When we worship, we're reminded of who he is. When we worship, we're reminded of what he does. When we worship, we're reminded of the promises to come. When we worship, we are anchored in any circumstance. Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, worship something we've got to even think about more. The men, we had the men's ministry breakfast kickoff on Saturday, and I gave them all a booklet on family worship. 
Because my hope and prayer for this church is we're a body of believers with families who do family worship. And in that, if you've already gone through that, it's not about you need to have an hour-long thing planned. Rui, get ready. Make it a nice 55-minute teaching. No, it can be three, five minutes. It can be, like I shared with the men, we have a a two-and-a-half-year-old. He's going to be three in October, so not two-and-a-half. But when sometimes we can do like five minutes, sometimes family worship is 45 seconds. It's great. We look at the verse, we pray a little. I'm like, yay, Jesus loves you, and he's off. But we're still doing it. We're taking the time. Because guess what? What's better than singing to God? And I'm going to ask you something. If kids don't see their families worshiping, if kids aren't in worship when we do worship on Sunday morning, where do you expect them to learn how to worship? Where do you expect them to gain that? Where do you expect them to build that skill? In a culture that's knocking the family down, you want us to not preserve the family unit as a church? Think about these things. And it also is a reminder, song choice matters. I've said that to you before. When you're listening to K-Love, if it sounds like you're singing to your high school crush, stop singing the song, put on something else. We can show value to so many things in this world. But do we really keep God first? Do we really keep God as the focus? And I'm going to ask you, what is more important than worshiping our king? Honestly, what's more important than worshiping Jesus? Well, I don't really like to sing. I don't want to lift my hands. I feel uncomfortable because dot, dot, dot. Well, I need coffee before the sanctuary, so I got to have my coffee. That's why I come in only for the last song. I need my coffee. I got to have coffee before the message. I dot, 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 whatever justification you want to put. Guess what? You're saying, I dot, 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 God is second. That's what you're actually saying, period. So at the end of the day, Our lives are not promised to be worry-free. Our lives are not promised to be problem-free. They're going to have that. But as I said last week, worship's a weapon. Use it for the weapon that it is. It's a gift. It needs to be cherished. Cherish it. Build it in yourself. Build it in your families. There will be some changes coming to worship because by January, my hope is that we have everyone in here for the worship set and then we open the classrooms after. And it's not about making things more complicated. It's about we need to worship as a family unit. Children need to learn how to worship. And they can hang out with people after. There's other opportunities. But we've got to make this important. And to you, if you struggle with that, I say with love, just tell me what's more important than worshiping God. And I'll change my mind. Tell me what's more important than worshiping Jesus. What's more important than that? And that's what we have to remember as we go through the book of Psalms. Psalm 16, it's a psalm with many cool verses in it. For youth group, this would probably be one we use as a cliche verse because you can see some of the verses from this psalm on t-shirts and Christian stores. Great. But as I say with those things, how about living it? How about singing it? How about walking it? Where are we with that? Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. You've got to start there. Are you under full surrender to him? Are you saying, you're king of kings, preserve me. You're the only one I put my trust in. Charge for this week. What fellowship with God does your life reveal? How do you walk? How do you work? How do you speak? How's your character? How's your conduct? How's your conversation? How do you pray? How do you praise 
Is your trust truly in God alone? Do you delight in his people? Do you pray for those that don't have him at the center? Is Jesus enough? Is what he's given you and the circumstance you're in enough? Is God really first? Do you prioritize worshiping him? Are there fears or insecurities you need to remove to walk by faith? What's your communion with the Holy Spirit? Are you living for eternity or just for today? To be, to pray. To do those things, guess what, saints? It takes surrender. It takes taking the my and making it about him. And it's gonna cost giving up what you want, giving up sometimes the way you think things should be because it's comfortable, it's convenient. But we do it because it's for Jesus. It glorifies him. It exalts him. It pleases him. He's our father. If Jesus on the way to the cross said, hold up, y'all, can't do this, it's really uncomfortable, where would we be? Truly, where would we be? And the other little thing that biased, I have to say, we've got a body of believers at this church you can lean on. So as you're going forward to be who the Lord needs you to be, get in that directory, and if you need prayer, reach out to someone. And if you need an accountability partner, reach out to someone. You'll get it in this body, but you gotta put yourself out there to do that. And that's being the church, leaning on one another. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word, for the gift of your word, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, for this book of songs of worship and prayer unto you, Lord God. Thank you that it allows us to remember how important it is to worship you, King Jesus. How important it is to sing unto you that we're reminded of who you are, the evidence of who you are, your character, Lord, that we can stand steadfast in any trial, Lord. Father God, I pray that you help us all to put God first, that we shall not be moved, Lord God. Father, that we can remain steadfast in you, that we can be like we talked and prayed for our sister Betty earlier, Lord, who's so steadfast in you, your will, and your sovereignty, Lord. For when we anchor on you, we will not be moved. So help us, Jesus, to be a body of believers who put you first. Help us, Jesus, to be a body of believers who worship you independently, as a family, and corporately as your bride. Thank you for this night, Lord. Help each and every single one of us to come to you and meditate on what you've given us to wrestle with, Lord, that we can be refined for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good one.